Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. That kid is back on the escalator again. And don't hurt. Is my boomstick. Game over, man. Game over. Welcome to the Bargain Bin. He is your host, Ben Mason. And he is your co-host, Sandrew Lucetic. And today we're talking 1998's Urban Legend. Uh, it's 1998. <laughs> How do you spoil a movie about urban legends that people have already heard about? You don't. Our third film in a row from 1998, Sandro. Incorrect. Fourth? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> the Faculty, Disturbing Behavior, and um, uh, Phantoms. Oh my God, that's right. Not in that order. So we finished season three. Because for those who don't know, this is our first episode of our fourth year. Fuck, that's crazy. Yeah. Happy four years, or happy three <laughs> years finished, man. Happy start of the fourth. Yeah, hey, to celebrate, why don't you head to our merch page and pick up a t-shirt? We finished last year with three straight 1998 horror movies, and I was so relieved to be done with them. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then I asked you what movie we were doing next. And my heart sank when you said 1998 horror movie. It's great, though. 1998 was not a bad year, man. What? Not a bad year. We hated all of those movies. <laughs> I know, but we had so much fucking fun, man. Okay. So much fun. Okay, all right, well, Phantoms, yes, it has problems. Disturbing Behavior is it actually pretty bad, too. Uh, it, the Faculty, though, we had a lot of fun talking about how... The faculty was the best of those three. It was flawed, but at least it was entertaining. Yeah, I guess it was actually pretty bad, too. But maybe we'll break that trend with Urban Legend. Throw up the CGI in the faculty and you could have a decent movie. I, I think the other two would need, like, complete rehauls and rewritings to be good, so... Oh, yeah, definitely. <sighs> so here we go. Might as well start off the new year. Um, the new season year on a. I hate you so much right now. A high note. Yeah. On the plus <laughs> side, you did this to yourself. I have six names. Oh. Okay. Then I'm not going to tell you which ones are halves because you don't deserve it. <laughs> That's yeah. I, I understand. I fully understand. Um. Okay. Myself. <laughs> yeah. We, we have covered the Mighty Ducks. Yep. Cursed. Correct. Did we cover another one of my movies? Nope. Okay, good. Good. Okay. Mr. Bobby England, Robert England, Freddy Krueger himself. He's so good. He's, he's, like, he's so good in everything he does. Everything. I want to say we did three movies with him. Four movies with him. Okay. <laughs> of which I know three. Okay. <laughs> so, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Correct. Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Correct. Never Too Young to Die. Correct. I don't know. <laughs> oh, oh no, Hatchet, Hatchet. Fuck, yeah. I almost... The second time I fucked up on that one. Sorry, Adam. Yeah, you, you forgot that one multiple times i know i know i feel really bad <laughs> okay well you got four more 
Okay. Did we cover Jared Leto? No, sir. Okay, so not Morbius or Morbius 2. It's Morbin time. Uh, Alicia Witt? Nope. Okay, good. Rebecca Gayhart? Nope. Uh, would have been Scream 2, which we didn't cover. Tara Reed? Nope. Rosenbaum? We did cover Rosenbaum. Shit. I don't blame you for forgetting this one. It was a bit role, right? No, lead role. Lead role? Oh, uh, um, oh god, uh, fuck, um, oh, uh, oh god, what was that called? The dinner party one, right? <laughs> no. Okay, then I don't know. What did we cover him in? Um, he was the voice of the main character in Dragonlance. Tannis. Oh, yeah. Okay, and. I wasn't going to include him for this, but since I had him on the list already, he played an uncredited person named Kyle in Cursed. Oh, he was. Yeah. Kyle actually had some screen time in that movie. Yeah, but I don't generally include uncredited. I only included yeah. him for that because he was already on the list for something else. Yeah. Um, what about Brad Dourif? No. I find that so strange. There's one that I'm so disappointed in you forgetting because. You forgot it before. Danielle Harris? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. We talked God. about this when we were covering Holliston. Oh, my God. She's been in so much. Uh, <laughs> uh, she wasn't in the first hatchet. Oh, oh, fuck. Stakeland. <laughs> yes. Very, and you kicked yeah, yourself very when we did Holliston for getting, for forgetting Stakeland. Oh my god, I was actually trying to convince someone to watch Stakeland the other day, and I used her as a means to convince them to watch it. That movie is so good. Uh, Nick DiMici is so good in it, and she is fantastic in it. Is Actually, everybody's fantastic. Everybody is. It. Yeah, that movie is phenomenal. I, I feel bad that we covered it on the first episode before we actually found our stride and knew what we were doing, because we definitely did not do that movie any justice whatsoever. Nah, we still praised it, which in the end is really what matters. Yeah, definitely. It is a movie that I highly recommend everybody watch because like some of our favorite movies we've covered on the show, no one seems to know it exists. And it's just, it's horrible. I mean, skip the sequel. Stakelander, it's, it's fine. But Stakeland and Late Phases, Night of the Lone Wolf, Watch Nick Demichi rip this shit apart. He is so good in both. I feel like at one point we're going to have to do a top 10 of movies we've done on this show that people need to watch that have never heard of. Oh, definitely. You got to include, like, you know, Upgrade and upgrade. Coherence. And, coherence uh, is what I was thinking about with um, Rosenbaum. Yeah. But that movie is fantastic. Which means that we need to cover Accident Man one day. I know. I know. All right, are you calling it quits there? Yeah, I don't know who else. Julian Richings? The, oh, the janitor. Yeah, he was... Uh, 30 uh, he Days was, of Night? No, Mimic. Mimic. He was one of the workers where they found the... Um, oh, yes, I remember that now. Where Norman Reedus found the, the carcass or whatever. Yeah. And then uh, Natasha Gregson Wagner was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer as Cassandra. Okay, yeah. I mean, you gotta give me that one. There's no way I would guess that. Well, that's why I didn't even bother waiting for you to try yeah. to get those ones. Yeah. I, she was good at the beginning of the movie, man. 
All right, so there's an extended game there. Um, Well-deserved. But mm-hmm. I guess it's time to move on to what I apparently deserved, which was another horror movie from 1998. <laughs> did, did you know anything about this movie before I, I picked it? No. Remember we had a phone conversation not that long ago where I was like, wouldn't it be an amazing idea if somebody made a movie about urban legends coming to life? Mm-hmm. And you were like, you mean like the movie Urban Legend? <laughs> And it's two sequels, Urban Legend Final Cut and Urban Legend Bloody Mary. Yeah, so if you can't uh, infer from that story, I didn't see this movie before. (laughs) See, I thought you saw all of my movies, and now I'm fucking pissed at you a little bit. (laughs) I don't know, man. I I expected more. But no, yeah, this this is a stereotypical 1990s teen slasher. Riding the wave that Scream brought on after slashes were forgotten in the late 80s, early 90s. And without showing my full hand, uh, I think it's a, an okay entry into that genre. Uh, there is definitely a lot worse and a few better. But uh, I, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts as we go through this. I have a few questions. The story is problematic at times. But uh, honestly, more than anything, after we get through the plot, I'm really excited to hear your awards because I think we're going to have completely different answers. Mm -hmm. I'd like to say just in general, and this is not necessarily directed to just Urban Legend, Mm -hmm. you can really see the Scream influence in this era because they're, having been exposed to so many of them recently, there's a very heavy, formulaic kind of like beat to it where you're, at this point, I'm just like, all right, I'm expecting the twist to be that it, the killer is the best friend or the new love interest. And, like, there's a few things where it's just like, yep, 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 okay, you know, <laughs> we, we get it. You guys saw that Scream made lots and lots of money, but you could deviate a little bit more. Yeah, it, it is a little paint-by-numbers. Mm-hmm. Before we get into the plot, I want to ask you, do you think, having seen the movie now, that the use of urban legends, is that a good gimmick for a horror film? Uh, for a horror film, yes. But not for this horror film. Well, no, I, I just mean, like, in general, it's such a cinematic thing. Mm-hmm. If you try to analyze this movie in any way, like, oh, this wouldn't really happen, this couldn't happen... You're going to fumble over it so much. Yes, but agreed. As just making it for like a, hey, let's put it on a movie. Let's just create some very out there kind of situations. It works really well because it provides you a variety. Yeah, and that, that's a very good point. Uh, I like how they are taking their own approach to these legends as well. Because we all grew up telling each other these stories. But... I feel like the original takes they have aren't as good as they could be. And that makes me question, should it exist? Um, I look at movies like Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, and those are all urban legends that we've all heard. And yet that movie also is not perfect, but it's an anthology film telling us the stories. And I think I like that more than having them all interconnected. Because they really shouldn't be. They're all standalones. They're little bits of terror that kids would tell each other to get each other scared. Here, 
I find that they're taking childish stories and dumbing down what could be a better film. Um, we'll get into that, but I, I, I was very curious to see if you thought it was an interesting take for a, a, a teen slasher film or not. Well, I, I thought it was a great idea when I thought it was an idea I had that was original. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you, you are not wrong. Um, I think that maybe the writer couldn't do what we wanted them to do. And that's not a jab at them. Like, I mean, he, like Sylvia Horta wrote a movie. We haven't done that. So good on him. An odd story there. I'm not going to get into if anyone wants to know Horta's story, look into it. But we did get urban legends. So let's, let's get into this movie. Right off the bat, one of my favorite movie openings of all time in the gas station scene. Do you find that this was a strong opening? Because for me, it's so good that I don't know how the rest of the movie is going to follow up. Yeah, I thought it was a strong opening. I thought that um, because, again, you're getting into the paint-by-numbers formulaic. I'm like, all right, there's going to be a kill at the beginning that's going to be kind of setting things off, but only somewhat tied to the main cast, and you're going to have to figure out the connection and this mm -hmm. and that. So I knew that it was like, okay, you're going to have a somewhat segmented part of the movie here. I thought that the performance by this gas station attendant, I feel bad I don't remember his name. Brad Dourif. Was fantastic. Yes. Absolutely fantastic. I loved the fact that she puts on the radio and cannot sing. Right? <laughs> yeah, and like the, the movie didn't try to like movie it up by making her amazing or anything like that. They were like, yeah, she's just a kid driving to school. She forgets the lyrics. She's got no tone. Like, it's a well, like, it's believable at this point. And then the gas station scene, it's like, okay, putting a gas station right before the little rundown one, I was like, all right, come on. Like, somebody's going to look at their gas gauge. But other than that, strong, strong start. Yeah, agreed. And what really caught me off guard upon rewatch was the amazing camera work and the lighting. Because this looks borderline perfect to me. But yeah, you said um, this, the student, uh, Michelle Mancini, driving along a dark winding road. The jump scare that we get, I thought was really stupid. <laughs> Until you get into the story. And then it makes perfect sense. Do you remember, I, I, I was talking about spoilers, we're just going to go all out here. Later on in the movie, we find out that Michelle Mancini and Natalie, our lead, were involved in the death of a driver because they were playing an urban legend on them. And this is the exact same scenario, except this time she wasn't looking at the road and almost got into a head-on collision. But that's also what caused the death of a driver they were joking. Man she got into that collision this movie would be over yeah yeah <laughs> there's nowhere to go <laughs> nowhere to go um what are your thoughts on using the the college or the university radio station because personally i hate it i hate the content of the radio station i don't care what she's listening yeah no that's just it because it, they keep trying to draw us into the fact that everyone's listening to this radio station i don't know any university student ever who religiously listened to their campus radio station. You know why? Because campus radio fucking sucked. And Except for the Laurier radio show that I was on for local metal. 
<laughs> All right, yeah, my bad. <laughs> I was also doing a horror punk radio show for CKDU at Dalhousie. I get it. I'm not saying it's good, though, but well done. Well done. So, yeah, you said that the car was going to run out of gas and it pulls over at a desolate gas station. And, yeah, Brad Dourif, man. Brad Dourif is one of the best actors who has ever worked, in my opinion. And I don't know if you recognize that voice, but it has haunted us for decades. No. Did you? No. He's the I voice. Didn't look of, it up. He's the voice of Chucky from Child's Play. Oh, yeah, I'll see some of those movies. You haven't seen any of those movies ever. I think I've seen one. Uh, well, fucking tr <laughs> treat yourself, man. This guy's an amazing actor. His stutter is amazing. Uh, it's believable. It is believable. Even his emoting is believable when he looks in the back seat of Michelle's car, and then immediately just goes inside the station. I mean, he had a great plan to try and warn her. Oh, a problem with the credit card? Yeah, like to yeah. try and get her out of the car without drawing attention to it. And by saying it's the credit card company, like genius. It is, yeah. I The first time I watched this, I remember I had rented the VHS. I thought he could potentially be a murderer. And it's not until the reveal after like, she maces him in the face when she hears that there's nobody on the other end of the phone and gets in the car and speeds off and he's screaming. Finally, you can get the words out. There's someone in the back seat. It's like, holy fuck. All right, movie. You got me. Let's go. Yeah. Great, great start. I have a question for you here, though, which kind of negates the great start. Okay. Michelle gets decapitated by an axe murderer who's hiding in the backseat, yes? Yeah. Is cutting off the head of a woman in a speeding car a good idea for your personal safety? No, but <laughs> what do you expect? It, it makes for a good part of the film, for sure. But that car is going off the road and everyone's dead. Tara Reed, as Sasha Thomas, the host of the radio show we listen to frequently throughout this movie. My only note here is, why was she famous? Uh, American Pie? There you go. That's it. Moving on. We head to Pendleton University and finally meet our lead, Natalie, played by Alicia Witt, and her friends, Brenda, played by Rebecca Gayhart, Parker, played by your boy Michael Rosenbaum, and college journalist, Paul, played by Jared Leto. Um, I'm getting a weird university friends vibe here. Like, they're all hanging out in the local coffee shop, which looks incredible. Incredibly expensive. Well, it's a campus coffee spot, I guess. Um, what's your general take on these characters so far? What do you think about Natalie? Well, we don't really have a lot to go on at this point. She seems to be the analytical one to me. Yeah, she seems like she's going to be kind of like the, the final girl. They give it to you like kind of right away. Yeah. And it's not to say that it's an insult or anything, but the final girl is usually like, not exceptional in any regard, but also not lacking. Like, she's just this kind of all-around every person. Because exactly. I think they want the audience to be able to relate with her the most. So they're not going to isolate her to, say, one category or one type of person. Agreed. Can we agree also on the fact that this is basically Sidney Prescott from Scream? Well, that's the archetype, right? Yeah. The every girl. Because we get her her best friend Brenda, who personally I see as a carbon copy of Tatum, also from Scream. I mean, we did say it. It's paint by numbers. 
yeah, like uh, bubbly, kind of aloof, the best friend. Um, Parker, to me, is Stu. But Paul, Jared Leto's character, kind of stands out for me. It's almost like they took Dewey and made him a teenager in that group. Almost kind of Randy, but not quite the Randy Meeks character. But I really, really don't like Parker in this movie. I find him way too boisterous, but I think that might also just be how Michael Rosenbaum is. I think that that's the intent of the character. Like, there is supposed Agreed. to be this over-the-top... I mean, it, it is very much Stu from Scream, if you think about it. Yeah. But the thing with Stu and Scream is that there was the, the Billy Loomis character to like bring him down and keep him centered which we don't really have in this we get damon later but damon's just as bad as parker is but parker tells us his story about stanley hall uh it happened in 1973 i yeah yes yeah, 25 years so 73 uh a professor loses his mind walks the floor of the residence knocking on the doors and uh kills any student who answers i like that paul interjects uh, correcting the story and showing how urban legends slowly evolve. My problem here, and I don't know if you caught this, but it's I think it's our first hint at bad writing in the movie. Okay. Because Paul chides Parker about the story, referencing, like, maybe it was Lee Harvey Oswald, maybe it was Jack Ruby. So we're getting, you know, JFK assassination references. But then he says, or that FBI guy who used to prance around in women's underwear. So if you know who Oswald is and you know who Ruby is, you know that that person is J. Edgar Hoover, who is running the FBI. <laughs> like, why drop specific references when the biggest one you can't even name? Now, that's me being incredibly nitpicky. But if you're going to enter that territory, follow up with it. I don't know. I thought it was just a line to kind of make a little bit more emphasis on the absurdity of what he's talking about. And you could very well be 100% accurate there. I will give you that. But I think it's also pandering to an audience who wouldn't know who Hoover is anyway, which makes me think that while this is a teen slasher film, and I forget the rating on it, but I, was, I would assume R in the States, you're looking around 18-year-olds. Um, I feel like a lot of this movie panders to an audience of 15-year-olds. It, sometimes this movie feels really dumb. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, but it's a dumb movie. <laughs> <laughs> what are you expecting? It's a teen slasher movie. Like, what are you expecting? I don't know. I think the movie looks more professional than any teen slasher I have ever seen. And it just it makes me sad that the content of the screenplay doesn't match up with it. I think that might be it. Gotta let it go, man. Gotta I know, right? I'm looking way too much into it. Um, the scene of Natalie and Brenda walking home, again, man, the lighting and camera work and music draws me right back in. So while, yeah, I have a bunch of complaints, the visuals, it, they're so fucking good. The setting is so perfect. I didn't even realize until after I finished watching the movie and then like watched the credits that this is U of T. It's the University of Toronto. Really? Yeah. And yeah, some of this filmed in Toronto, some in Port Credit. Like this is like I've been everywhere this movie's been filmed. 
and they did such a good job at making it look different. I had no idea. But I have a problem, and I think you do too. <laughs> do I? <laughs> the, it's the Bloody Mary scene that happens here. When do I ever have a problem with a movie? You, you know, you're right. This is a me thing. This is a me yeah. issue. I was always told that the Bloody Mary urban legend had to be done in front of a mirror. In a mirror. Yes. Not in front of a boarded up window. <laughs> you know how I'll never forget that? Because of Candyman. Great point. <laughs> I'll never forget Bloody Mary. I have toyed with the idea of picking Candyman multiple times, but <laughs> I, I, I know your disdain for it, and I will never, ever pick that, nor will I pick demonic toys. But like I said, it could go one of two ways. I could, I could, as an adult, see it and cure my trauma, realizing I was a dumb kid, or it could just put me in a fetal position crying in the corner. I don't know. <laughs> it turns into a solo podcast. <laughs> Just hear you crying in the background. <laughs> yeah, that will be the episode that we have to call on one of our friends to take my place. <laughs> Do you find that a movie that centers itself on using urban legends gets one so horribly wrong? Yeah, it's a problem. You, it's a you really problem. should do your research. But <laughs> honestly, I don't care because we get myself pop up as Damon Brooks. Um, do you have any thoughts on Damon? Other than his horrible, horrible bleach blonde hair? How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's so like, bad. I, I, I get that that was a trend at the time. I did it too. But it's like, it's not even well done. <laughs> no, it's not at all. It looks like someone painted his hair. But honestly, it's outweighed by the fact that I'm always so happy to see um, Jackson on the screen. Joshua Jackson is one of my favorite actors of all time. Uh, but here he's he's kind of playing just a more mean version of Pacey Witter from Dawson's Creek. And honestly, I'm, I'm fine with that. But I feel like that's the only reason he's in the movie. It's to capitalize on Dawson's Creek. Of course. Yeah. Of course! That's part of the cookie-cutter formula! You're right, man. You're right. Much like the creepy janitor jump scare. Again, uh, was it Julian uh, Richings? Yeah, I, I recognize him as one of those guys. You know, I remember that guy. He has a yeah. very distinct look. And I was excited to see him, but I couldn't tell you his name. He's one of those guys. Exactly. Yeah. And I honestly thought he was in 30 Days of Night. Now I just kind of feel like a jerk. Maybe he was. Maybe I, maybe I messed up. No, you don't mess up. Of course. Obviously, I'm the wrong one here. Uh, the next character we're introduced to, though, is uh, Natalie's goth roommate, Tosh. I fucking hate this character. Well, yeah. <laughs> You're supposed to hate this character. Are we? Yeah. I don't know. I don't think we are. I think we're supposed to see a character that's going through a really tough time, but introducing them by having our lead walk through the door of her dorm room to Tosh having sex and Daniel Harris just screaming at her. Like, I, I've, I've, I've never experienced dorm life, but I can't imagine it was great. But the fact that Natalie has to put headphones in to block out the sounds of sex 10 feet away is interesting. In that it kind of 
shows her as being a submissive character, but she's not really that throughout the rest of the movie. So I don't really know why we have this scene. Is it is it to make us not like Tosh? I think so. She's an inconsiderate roommate. She is, for sure. And does Natalie not have a friend to go stay with? Yeah, but does, does the in- inclusion of Tosh make this movie any better? No. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm th- all for Danielle Harris being in anything. Oh, yeah, me too. But this character is not necessary, is inconsequential. And it's, I feel like it's literally there to just add another body to the count and another urban legend. I, I agree with you on that one, too. But it also makes the movie even more problematic later on, which I have in my notes. We'll cover. But right now it's time for class and we get Professor William Wexler, Robert Anglin himself, giving a lecture on urban folklore. So 100% sign me up for that class. I, w- I would be in the front row every day. Every day. I would never miss a class. <laughs> Did the scene where his watch alarm goes off and people find this humorous, did you find that weird? Yeah, these kids are laughing at stuff that would never be funny. Yeah. And this entire scene occurs for a really shitty payoff at the end of the film. So again, I say, great looking film, poor writing. But this gives us the pop rock scene, which in 98, I really enjoyed. But what's your take on Wexler calling Brenda up on to the lecture stage to get her to eat Pop Rocks and offer her Pepsi. I loved it. Why? He's just so good. It's the way it's his mannerisms too. Like when she's walking up and he just kind of casually tosses her the bag, he makes this scene so good. Mm-hmm. Agree. And honestly, I believe that urban legend when I was a kid did. I remember hearing it. Yeah. But I, I, I was always undecided if i thought it was true or not i never wanted to find out well no of course not i never tried it by any means exactly so because you had it in the back of your mind and this scene was just so good england steals every scene he's in in this movie there's no Mm -hmm. denying that but again it makes me go back to what i was saying earlier in that no university student is going to believe any of this so i feel like the 15 year old audience is where we're going here uh right down to damon uh agreeing to eat pop rocks and then slam a a can of soda a can of pop playing it up pretending that his stomach and intestines are going to explode and people in the crowd people like that the students actually fell for it he committed to it man he dropped down those stairs he spit up on himself Dedicated to the bit, man. Honestly, (laughs) though, Michael Rosenbaum cheering it on was so annoying. Yes. Yeah. He infuriates me throughout this movie. And I think, and I hate to say this, I think he might be a good actor. You know he is. I made you watch Pool Hall Junkies. You know he is. Actually, yeah, he was absolutely amazing in that movie. Fuck, that was a good one. Need to pick that up. But yeah, you're right. Uh, uh, Joshua Jackson commit hard like there's no way he wasn't bruised after filming this scene he hits those stairs fucking hard i I got a couple of notes on this uh section of the movie okay go for it. on my second viewing i had to get up to go to the washroom 
So I paused it. Just by happenstance, it was on a shot of the students as they were listening to the lesson. Okay. And if you look at the expressions of that still frame, which I didn't say to share, but take my word for it. Parker and Damon in the back look like they're bored and uninterested. Natalie mm -hmm. just looks like she's paying attention. But Rebecca is paying attention so intently, like eyes wide open, and she's like taking in the information. I don't know if it's intentional. It just happened to be because I, I, I watched it intently after I unpaused it. Mm -hmm. She's really paying attention to this class. Like she's doing research. Hint, hint. Yeah, come on. We know. Rebecca Gayhart is absolutely amazing in this movie, in my opinion. So uh, that is one part that I, I just kind of happened to fall upon and, and I thought was really good. That's a great catch. I missed that completely. Oh, completely incidental, too, right? So I, I don't really know. Mm -hmm. um, I don't remember what the other thing was. <laughs> <laughs> I got so into my first thing, I forgot the second one. <laughs> uh, let me bring up the, uh, the next scene, though, because I, I have a, a major problem with this, and I think you caught on to it as well. Okay. Natalie and Brenda see Paul's article about the murder from the film's opening mm -hmm. with the headline, Lunatic on Campus. The murder didn't happen on campus. No. So what are, what are we doing here? It happened on the way to campus, and we don't know how far. Exactly. I hate it. I hate it so much. I also I, hate how, like, is it the dean? I don't know. The headmaster, whoever's in charge, this guy comes and confiscates the copies of the newspaper. Not saying that they, like, research it intently, but I feel like that wouldn't have made it onto the shelves in the first place. Yeah, agreed. Uh, at least they get, this gives us our first uh, intro to Reese, played by Loretta Devine. And I think Reese is a wonderful character in this movie. I would like to see more of her. Um, you can in the second one. Yes. News report covering the murder lets us know that the gas station attendant, Michael McDonald, we finally get his name, Brad Dourif's character, is missing. I don't give a fuck. It's an obvious red herring, but why? Why is he missing? We know oh, he's I not the murderer. That. But see, because you'd be tempted to say that he was also killed because he's somewhat of a witness, right? Okay. Except for that later they say that he was arrested. Yeah. But at that point, like he could have said, there was someone in the backseat of her car and she was killed down the road. <laughs> yeah. Why? Would he ever be considered missing? I don't know. Did he just go into hiding? Would he not try and get in touch with the police? But that's the thing. The movie wants you to believe that his existence ceases after the camera cuts. Like, he wouldn't, say, call the police and say, there was someone just at the shop. Yeah. <laughs> like, the a person just drove by. I think there was an axe murderer in her back seat. You should look for this model car going this direction on this road at this time. No, he just goes missing. Yeah. Because the I story guess... doesn't work if he reports anything. Yeah. If you actually, if the camera stayed on him, he just like shrugs his shoulders and goes back to work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, well, I, I, I tried. I tried. You know? Or he sees the newspaper, you know, like the local school newspaper, and he's like, I saw her. I should call. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is 
is too convenient. Like they they have to scrub this character from the script, or else the entire movie falls apart. And See, that the part that I don't like is that they say he's arrested later. Because if he was just missing, and that's the last we hear of him, then you can assume that the killer went back and finished him off to cover loose ends. Yeah, I could maybe be okay with that. Well, he does shout, there's someone in the back seat, so we can say, well, maybe she didn't hear she was singing the rain, but maybe the person in the back seat heard, right? Like, yeah, there's enough there that I'd be like, all right, she killed him off to cover her tracks. And this is just what I would do in this case. But if you see somebody at your gas station and they have somebody hiding in the back seat with an axe, you try and save them, they mace you you chase them back to the car to try and warn them again, and they just speed off. I get on the phone. I call the police. I lock up the store. I go the fuck home. <laughs> that's, that's a night for me. I don't want to deal with anything else. People have to deal with the fact they can't get gas. That's not my problem. But yeah, just writing him out of the script that way is fucking lazy. But I would have accepted it if they didn't have the arrest later on. Well, yeah, okay, can you describe why, or explain why they would have him arrested if they have no reason to believe that he is actually the murderer? That's the thing, it's just like, oh, he was maced by her, maybe that was her fighting back and he finished the job later, but it's still a little too flimsy that if, just go the lazy route and say that he went missing. Yeah. Let me just assume he's dead. Yeah, and that, I think, is the easiest thing you could do, you're right. Natalie returns to her dorm room, and we're reminded of the inconveniences of the early internet connections. Oh man, I remember days of trying to play World of Warcraft. I'd have to wait till my whole family went to bed so I could <laughs> use the phone line, and oh, yeah. <laughs> we see through yearbook photos that Natalie and Michelle were friends. Uh, really, there's no reason to believe that this is of any importance so far. What a twist. Yeah. Damon arrives. And is immediately pretty fucking scuzzy. Trying to put the, <laughs> put the moves on Natalie. He's not hiding his intentions very well. <laughs> oh, God, no. I do love him struggling to start the car, though. And when he finally gets it going, the radio just blares the theme song to Dawson's Creek. And he looks completely disgusted by it. I find it interesting that we only hear the first part of the song. Mm-hmm. Was uh, I don't want to wait. Yep. What's the next part of that? For our lives to be over. <laughs> what happens next? His life is over. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was great. <laughs> it's pretty fun. You're right. It, it did get a chuckle out of me. But again, like I said, it's just exploiting the fact that they have Joshua Jackson in the movie. Yeah. But if you're going to do that, at least have fun with it and yeah. do it like this. Yeah, and I'm sure they had to pay Paula Cole a fair amount of money just to use that one clip. But they, they did it. They went for it, and it worked. Uh, but yeah, yeah, Damon's putting the moves on her, and she is not having any of it. See, and I love her facial expression when he's going into it, where she doesn't buy it. She yeah. doesn't buy it at all. I, I found it a really hard scene to watch. It was, because I thought he was going to go a lot more um, forceful. But, okay. yeah, I thought he was just going to try to take advantage of her. Really? Interesting. Yeah, but 
that was part of like his performance was quite like believable in that like pretending to be a sleazebag not pretending to have a girlfriend and actually be like he just does it so good to make it look like he's acting bad yeah he's good at he's surprisingly good at playing a skeezy character i'm gonna try and phrase that the actor is doing a good job playing a character who doesn't know how to act <laughs> but i feel like it betrays the character that we were introduced to earlier because i felt like damon was one of those like happy-go-lucky funny guys except for you know the whole head joke but uh Having him make this turn, I'm like, oh, this is just a really skeezy fucking frat guy. Yeah, that's exactly what he is. Yeah, exactly. And I, I just, I didn't want him to be that. I wanted him to be fun. I wanted him to be likable, but no, he's not. Uh, and speaking of which, what do you think of his murder? <laughs> so, I know I harp on this a lot when we watch these movies, but a lot of these kills are just based on so much good fortune. Yeah. Because... Yeah. If he doesn't need to go to the washroom and just starts the car and drives away, <laughs> yeah, what are we doing? Nothing is what we're doing. Exactly. I also kind of found it interesting that Natalie is really the one that kills him. Yeah. Uh, well, let's just say from a cinematic standpoint, obviously we assume, yes, Rebecca happens to be in the right spot. He does need to go, like, everything lines up as it should, because that's what we need to do with a movie, is suspend disbelief. The yeah. actual setup for this is very creative and well done for this type of movie. Agreed. Although I'm... <laughs> in the end, we find out it's Rebecca, and I'm like, man, she overpowers a lot of people, and she's Everyone. a very small person. <laughs> Everybody. We even see Damon hanging in a closet later. I'm like, that's a big guy. <laughs> like, I don't know if I could pick up that much dead weight and hang him from the like ceiling in a closet. But there's another problem with this scene that kind of resonates throughout the rest of the movie. Where the fuck are the police? Why would they be here? Wouldn't she try and report it? Well, she does go to the campus police, probably just because of proximity. And then. Reese doesn't believe her. Mm -hmm. So why well, would the police be here at this moment? Imagine, though, Reese does contact the police, be like, the student is freaking out about this scenario. Um, you may want to do, like, you know, just drive by and see what's going on. There are, there's no way in the world that they wouldn't arrest Natalie immediately. So I think that's the only way to not have Natalie in prison and ruin the rest of the movie is negate the fact that the police exist. Well, like, she does bring Reese back there and there's no body, no car. He has the alibi that he was gonna go snowboarding, so... There's also no tire tracks. Yeah, well... Brenda's doing a do? great job here. I, I don't understand the motivation of this killer, though. Um, agreed. Which I've been saying the entire time. She wants to get revenge on these two girls that caused the death of her old boyfriend. Yeah. What does Damon have to do with that? Nothing. What does any of the other kills have to do with that that are not these two girls? What did Hootie do? <laughs> Let's not forget poor Hootie. Yeah, like, okay. Guess she just goes on a rampage to anybody adjacent to her target, I guess? Anybody on campus. 
like you said, Natalie runs to uh, to Reese to report the death. I've already said Reese is fucking awesome. One of the most likable characters in the movie for me. I love the scene where she's like acting out the scene from the movie when like before. Oh yeah, Natalie walks in and yeah. she's just like she's just so happy to have her job and she's just like living the dream. <laughs> Natalie seems to think it was the gas station attendant. I'm not sure why. Because he went missing, as per the news report. Yeah, and then, like you said, he was arrested earlier that day. Which should almost immediately get him released, because there's another kill. Yes. And as the audience, we already know he isn't the killer. So this is doing nothing for us. It's just playing to that one character, which is a faux pas. Parker tries to convince Natalie that it was all a prank pretty elaborate, brings up the fact that the death was just like an urban legend, and then Natalie realizes that Michelle's death was also an urban legend scenario. Oh my god, a pattern. <laughs> like a Parker. He's like, ah, oh, he has this dummy that he uses. <laughs> he also has this life-size blow-up doll, but uh, let's not get into that. I, don't, I think Parker is just supposed to be the biggest idiot in this movie. And he is, for sure. Uh, next up, library scene. <sighs> Natalie gets a book of urban legends and is spooked by Sasha, who honestly I would never believe to be in the library. Uh, why is she in the library? Natalie or Sasha? Sasha. Well, she's excited to have found an illustrated edition of the Kama Sutra, and honestly, they're all fucking illustrated, so pump the brakes. What is she, like, 11? Yeah. Grow up! Yeah. No, they definitely play her off as your stereotypical dumb girl in university, which doesn't really fit in this movie, but whatever. Going through the, the Book of Urban Legends, we get a bit of that foreshadowing with the aren't you glad you didn't turn on the light legend? Intentional? Yeah, I guess. But why? Why introduce that? We Are we trying to be led to believe that since... Natalie saw it with Tara Reed with Sasha that maybe Sasha's the killer because I can't believe that. No, no, <laughs> right? Well, it can't be her unless they do one of those multiple killer things because she's on the radio when the first killing happens. Exactly. It's just it's lazy writing. And then we get another legend: the um, the uh, gang high beam initiation. And that, that is an urban legend I believed when I was a kid. In junior high, I thought that was a real thing. Uh, did any of the other urban legends that come up in the movie, did, did you believe any of those? I hadn't heard a lot of them, to be honest. Really? Yeah. The, aren't you glad you didn't turn the lights on? Never heard that one. Yeah, I've, I heard a few different versions of that when I was a kid, and they were all fucking terrifying. Oh, okay. There is one that they didn't use in this movie that I had heard. I don't know if maybe it's regional. Um, it has always terrified me because I still, to this day, I don't know if it's real or not, but I hope to God it isn't. And that is not that it matters anymore, but, um, people putting, uh, the tips of, uh, hypodermic needles in the change return of payphones. So you push that little thing in to get your quarterback, whatever, and just jab yourself. Have you ever heard that? No. Okay, yeah, that, that is one of the most terrifying things in the world to me. 
And I have a note here that says that always stuck with me. I didn't realize how much of a pun that was. For anyone listening, payphones used to be these things. <laughs> <laughs> See, we um, didn't have cell phones. <laughs> You're dating us, man. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, what did you think about Natalie discovering that Damon was the last person to sign out the book of urban legends? Uh, it's, I thought nothing of it. He's in exactly. an urban legend class with the rest of them. Didn't it seem overly convenient? Maybe. Like what? I guess. I guess if later there was a reveal that he was the second killer, maybe. Yeah, that would make sense. Because right now he's already dead, so it doesn't matter if he signed out the fucking book. But if they had done it with better like camera work and made it that she didn't quite see him fully, and it was the dummy. Yeah. That was just referenced, and then he was the second killer? Fine, but otherwise it was just a nothing point. Speaking of a nothing point, the next scene uh, with Tosh meeting, uh, trying to meet someone online for a hookup and is attacked and murdered. You were right, man. This introduction of this character was just to set up the body count. Uh, I, I did like that Natalie mistakes us for Tosh having loud sex and intentionally ignores everything happening in the same room just to go to sleep. Well, they set it up with the previous one, right? So exactly. from a filming standpoint, they did a good job there. It's probably one of the most dark scenes from a 90s teen slasher that I can think of. It's a shame, though. Like, having Danielle Harris and that's all she's in the movie? Exactly. Don't waste that talent. She's probably the most talented performer in the film. Uh, come on, man. Robert England? Brad Dourif. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually was looking up some trivia on this, and apparently this movie caused her to quit smoking. Danielle Harris? Yeah. Why? Uh, the trivia said, and I don't know how accurate it is, but that she was excited to take this role because she could smoke on set, having her character be a smoker. <laughs> okay. But then she had to smoke for so long on set that it made her sick and she quit smoking after it. No, oh, good for her. Yeah. There was another really interesting piece of trivia that I looked up. Okay. The university's motto. Did, did you see this one? No, no, I didn't. So the university has like a Latin motto that you see in, you know, a number of background shots and things like that. Uh-huh. And I don't know how it's, like, pronounced or whatever, but it's, like, amicum optimum factum or something like that. Okay. According to the trivia, translates to the best friend did it. I don't know if that's true. I would kind of like if it was, though. Well, I mean, that could easily be tested in a translator, right? Yeah. I'm curious. Can you do that right now? Yeah, I'm doing it right now. Awesome. I, I really want to know what this translates to. I put it into the Google Latin to English, and it says best friend made. So, Oh, wow. Okay. With Google, with Google Translate, obviously, it's a little bit more literal, but I think that if that was the case, it probably is true. Yeah. No, that's great. That's a great bit of trivia. I never picked up on that. There's got to be so many more little jokes about... Oh, fuck. I really need to watch this movie for a third time now. <laughs> um, of course, with, uh, with Tasha's death, we get the aren't you glad you didn't turn on the light reveal for, uh, for Natalie. And honestly, 
my only thought here is how hard would it have been to write that in the dark? And isn't it above Natalie's bed? Yep. So Natalie is deep enough of a sleeper that headphones. But I know it doesn't make any but, sense. But Brenda would have had to like is it Brent no Rebecca? No. Yeah, the character is Brenda, Rebecca Bre is the actor. Brenda would have had to like lean over her as she's sleeping <laughs> in her bed to write it. Yeah. Which also makes me wonder, why not just kill her there? Uh, that's a great point I never even considered. It's like, I can get into the room so much so that I can kill her roommate and she'll sleep through it. I have no reason to kill the roommate, but I'll leave the one that I want alive? Like, I don't, I don't, as I go back to the motivations of this killer. Oh, it, yeah, it does not make sense. A lot of this does not make sense. Do you remember my complaint earlier? about how the police would have arrested Natalie had Reese called them and they went to like look for the car and like there's if they found the car there which I don't know how Brenda hid the car the body and covered up all the traces of them ever having been there but just getting in touch with the police at all because now we have an actual body and somehow the dean and Reese wrap up the case consider it to be a suicide but isn't that a matter for the actual police? Well, you'd think they'd be investigating. They'd be like, oh, if he has an alibi that he's gone skiing, let's go check. And we're probably going to detain Natalie while we investigate. Yeah. What happened? Oh, this girl killed herself by slitting her wrists, but then wrote a taunting remark above the head of her sleeping roommate and then went back to bed and died. Don't they call it like a suicide note? Yeah. That's a tragic suicide note. What? Yeah. There's no way anybody would consider that a suicide note. Aren't you glad you didn't turn on the light? Past tense. <laughs> <laughs> this movie has problems, man. Lots yeah. of problems. Yeah. I, I still, I'm not saying it's not entertaining, but it is very fucked up. Paul and Natalie talk about Michelle, Tosh, and Damon. The idea of an urban legend serial killer is lost on Paul, which I remember immediately making me think he's our guy because, yeah, a gimmick killer, crazy murders to write about in the school paper. This is his ticket to success. I can see it. Yeah. Natalie brings up that it's the 25th anniversary of the Stanley Hall massacre, which Paul says didn't happen. But they go to check out the university records only to discover that the records covering the 1973 year is missing. Again, Paul is making claims on things he knows nothing about. He's a terrible journalist, but added weight to my theory that he might be the killer. A bad writer who gets the good stories first, that, that makes sense. I think if Paul was revealed to be the killer, I would have been okay with this. There is a scene where he comes in when we get the killer reveal, and he is clapping, and he's essentially trying to trick the killer yep where i'm like oh he's the second killer and i would have totally bought it yeah I, there's no reason why we couldn't believe that he would use somebody actually killing other students to boost his potential career as a journalist once out of university who did you think the killer was i thought it was paul really mm -hmm. at what point did you make that decision Oh, it's Jared Leto. 
<laughs> I mean, that's pretty, pretty good reasoning, really. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he had the weight and the gravitas as an actor at this point. But yeah, you see him on screen, like watching it in 2023, and you're like, yeah, it's probably him. Because he's just so famous now, or infamous now. But anyway, well, it's, it's go ahead. It's partially also how they film it. There's a lot of times where he's almost shot as the outsider. Yes, agreed. He definitely is an outsider, but he's also insanely critical of everyone around him, which kind of makes him a bit of an antagonist right away. But at the same time, are we supposed to like him? I don't know. I don't think so. I think he's just supposed to be a red herring. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't want to rewatch this movie, but now I, I might have to just to pick up this. You, you've brought up a lot of really good points that, that completely passed me by. So maybe this movie has more life in it after all. Time to talk to the creepy janitor. They question him about Stanley Hall and he just tells them to talk to Wexler. Um, breaking into Wexler's office seems to be a bit of a weird move. But in snooping, Natalie finds a room containing a parka and an axe. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, he's not the killer. I know. I'm glad you're laughing because this is fucking ridiculous. Well, why would you have a secret room? He goes and says, he's like, oh, it's props from my class. Makes sense, right? Mm. But why hide them then? Yeah. <laughs> like, just... I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Interesting bit of piece of trivia as well. The the killer wears that parka because this was supposed to be shot in the winter. I was curious about that because it is not fucking winter. No, they were actually hit with unexpected, really warm weather. Pa probably why they picked even University of Toronto because they anticipated snow. And yeah. they determined that it was going to be too much to have fake snow the whole time. But they just kept the killer's garbs even though they cut out the winter part. I hate it. I mean, I understand because you have to find a new killer costume, but it really, really takes me out of the movie when it looks like summer and the killer's wearing a fur trim, like a hood with fur trim, like a full-on massive winter parka. It makes even less sense in a scene that we haven't seen yet. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it does. I also have that in my notes. Wexler catches them, and they're both reprimanded for accusing him of murder. Yeah. Why wouldn't they be? I feel like their punishment should be harsher. Yeah, we find out that Natalie's been previously charged with reckless engagement in high school, which we've already talked about. Paul's fired from the school paper. That's it? <laughs> That's it. Yeah. What would you have done? What do you mean, what would I have done? Like, what, what do you think the punishment should have been? I don't know. It's kind of tough. All they did was break into his office. And accuse him of murder. Yeah, but can you be punished for falsely accusing someone? It's not like they went and per I like, guess. Yeah. went into trial or something and perjured themselves or something. They just said, oh, we think he's the killer. Yeah, it's not like they're going to report him to the police because the police don't exist in this fucking movie. <laughs> they show up eventually. I know. A TV weather report sets up a massive rainstorm for the end of the film, and I'm all for that. Because, like I said, I think one of the strongest parts of the movie is the environment. You get, like, the isolated gas station, 
isolated university campus, we really don't have any mention of nearby towns, but also the use of weather. Everything here feels contained, like a little ecosystem of terror. And going back to Scream, I think that's why Scream worked too. Like having everything take place in a sleepy mountain town really helps build paranoia. And I think they did that really well here. But that's one of few things they did really well. And I think we're getting to the scene here that you were talking about, the parka. Because this is where Natalie watches Brenda swimming in the university pool. Yep, this is it. Okay, please take it away. So, a figure walks into the pool area and walks down the side, wearing the parka. And this is the moment where Natalie's trying to get her attention and just try to warn her that the killer is coming after her. And the parka hood comes off and it's just a girl. In a swimsuit. In a swimsuit. And it's like, okay, well, if it's not winter... <laughs> Why would anybody else, like, I get it, if the killer was wearing a parka because they're like, oh, part of the urban legend is that I'm going to wear this as part of the guys. Fine. Yeah. It doesn't have to be winter for you to be wearing a parka if that's part of the urban legend. Whatever. But why would this girl be wearing a parka? There's no reason. None. Whatsoever. I don't know what to tell you, man. Natalie finally admits to Brenda that she knew Michelle. They were out one night, played the gang headlight initiation prank, which resulted in the death of the driver of the other car. We've covered this. In turn, Brenda convinces Natalie to go to the party at the frat house that night? Does this seem unbalanced to you? Well, it's, you, you gotta get them to the party. It's part of the... It's what happens in these movies. You, you have a party. Okay, I get that. What was Natalie's punishment again for breaking into Wexler's office? I don't know. Yeah, me neither. And Paul? He was fired from the paper, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the next time we see him, he's packing up all of his things. And it doesn't look like an office. It looks like a dorm room. Maybe that's the only reason he's at school. Is he going to transfer to another school to, to, to join their paper? Sure. Let's, let's go with that. I got nothing, man. I know, it just seems so weird to me. It's like, it almost feels like he was expelled. But that isn't the case, so I don't know what's happening. Anyway, he's clearing out his, like, his, his desk and discovers a 1973 school newspaper. Obviously planted by the creepy janitor who is there. The paper covers the massacre at Stanley Hall and reveals that Wexler was the sole survivor. And honestly, I am 100% back into this movie. Because I don't remember any of that. It totally worked for me. It really did. <laughs> I know it's cheap. Like you, you didn't like it at all? Well, it just doesn't have to be there. Because it doesn't actually have a bearing on the outcome of the movie. I know. It's just fun. It's a lot of fun. This movie is all about poorly done mystery. And this just kind of gave me something to hang on to for a change. Uh, the Dean and Reese talk in the parkade. Reese voices her concerns and wants extra security at the university for the weekend. And the dean just says, nah, don't contact students' parents or the police. If no other reason, you can confirm one death <laughs> in a dorm room. <laughs> Forget all the other stuff, whether it's false accusations or not. <laughs> Even if it's a suicide. I don't think anybody would be like, no, we don't need extra security. Be like, yeah, yeah you know what? We should, we should take some precautions. 
Yeah, even just because, you know what? The student body might be on edge. Yeah. So Reese leaves, and the dean is dispatched by the killer. Um, I must have missed the urban legend about having your Achilles tendon slashed and then being run over by your own car. But it makes for a pretty cool death in the movie. Why? I don't know. There's no what? reason to kill him. Why is he a victim? I, I can't tell you, man. All right. <laughs> At the party, Parker forces his dog to do a beer bong. Asshole. That is a douche. Seriously. I hate it. I hate it. Poor Hootie. Paul confronts Natalie at the party with the newspaper and his theory? Wexler has gone off the deep end on the anniversary of the massacre. You know what? Believable. I just don't see Robert Englund taking out a bunch of students with an axe. But For no reason I, at all. For no reason. But just because it's the anniversary. Yeah. 20, 25 years, man. That, that will make a person crack. Brenda walks in on the two of them, and they're uh, making out. Our immediate reaction, storm out. This, I believe, to be the moment where I fully knew who the killer was when I was watching this in 98. Okay. Because Brenda has been the bubbly best friend character the entire time. Her reactions to scenarios don't really make sense. And you just expect this to be the stereotypical character the entire time. But for her to have an emotional response an hour into the movie shows a shift that gives weight to somebody we were convinced to ignore. But the only thing that we got on this character is from the very first scene, she wants Paul. Yeah. That's her one-track mind. The entire movie, it always goes back to, should I ask him out? Anytime he's around, she gets all googly-eyed. I didn't read into this from that standpoint, mm -hmm. simply because I'm like, yeah, her best friend, is making out the guy that she's been like obsessing over the entire time. And see, that would that would make sense if that were simply the case, if this happened earlier in the movie. But we're coming up on the tail end. Like it's a weird time to introduce that now because if Brenda is not the killer, why are we gonna have this story pop up over an hour into the movie and try and wrap it up with the rest of the story? So I'm like, well, because just... Paul's the killer and he knew that that would put them on an emotional edge. He didn't actually want to make out that. He just, he just wanted to set her up. You know what? I never considered that, but that would be a better twist to the movie than what we get. You're really good at this. <laughs> <laughs> Reese discovers that Wexler's office has been ransacked, having just seen the creepy janitor again. And are we supposed to believe that he's a suspect now? He was the most blatant red herring from the first time you see him. Agreed. And the parka and axe are now missing. She slips in a pool of blood. Paul tries to get Parker to end the party because the killer's on campus and Parker embarrasses him in front of the partygoers. I mean, he also kind of uses my theory of Paul being a killer, but at this point I've already thrown that aside. So, later in the room. In, in Parker's room. I mean, this is fucking scream all over again, man. He gets a call from Damon's phone. The caller tells Parker that he's going to die tonight, and it's time for Parker to bring up another urban legend, but instead we get a different one, and somebody put Hootie in the microwave. Mm. My next note just says, fuck me. Poor Hootie. Poor Hootie. 
I'm not a dog guy, man, but I love that pup. Just because he was put through so much shit, I wanted to save him. And instead, he explodes in a fucking microwave. I hate animals. In general. All of them. Yeah. But I don't want them hurt. No. What do you think of Parker's death? Seems like he should maybe, I don't know, be more inebriated or have some more resistance fighting back. Yes. Yeah. Because we don't know who the killer is at this point, but the killer just ragdolls him, basically, and forces drain cleaner down his throat, killing him. Is that an urban legend? I don't remember that one. I don't remember that one either. And Reese actually tries to contact the police, who just blow her off. <laughs> there was, are no police, man. I was so excited, Sandra. I feel finally, like... I feel like the, the police are only there to collect Tasha's body. Yeah. And they're like, sorry, you've hit your quota. <laughs> <laughs> we are not coming back to that campus. See you later. Well, Sasha has gone back to the radio station and is attacked by the killer, who apparently can just pop up anywhere they want to. Um, I know how analytical you can be. I assume you noticed a major issue with this scene. I've yet to find an issue with anything in this movie. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. Okay. Do you know what? Please tell me you know what I'm talking about here. No idea. It's been perfect so far. Sasha's encounter with the murderer is being broadcast over the airwaves. It's a neat idea. But for most of the chase, she isn't in the studio. So there is no microphone around to pick up any of this audio. Yeah. Not to mention... No one in the building. No. Like, I get it. Okay, if it's late night, there's not going to be, like, a whole bunch of students and faculty, but there will be people around. <laughs> yes, exactly. I remember going to university late at night to work on, like, projects and stuff, and there would always be a handful of people doing something. Something. Just milling around, studying something. Yep. Another problem with this scene. Okay. The axe that the killer has. Did you notice anything weird about it? No, I didn't, but I'm assuming there is. It's a double-headed axe. Well, that's not the same as... The one that Wexler had? Yeah. Exactly. So Wexler's not a suspect anymore. This movie that. is great at tension, but horrible at mystery. <laughs> They're great at tension. Terrible at attention to detail. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Like, yeah, we, we don't know who the killer is fully, but at the same time, the story just destroys suspicion of anybody else. Like, I would, I would fully expect at this point for the reveal of the killer to be somebody we have not encountered yet. Like, who are we supposed to believe the killer is? Oh, biggest twist. It's the gas station attendant. <laughs> it's Hootie. Natalie arrives at the station just in time to watch the killer axe Sasha to death. And why? I did. Why, I don't why know. kill Sasha? I don't know. And why kill her off screen? You, you can make the argument that some of the kills are because they're in between her and her target. It's like, mm -hmm. say, casualties, right? Uh, collateral damage. But like, she's going out of her way to kill people that are not involved. She went to a, a different building. Like, left the party, went to a completely different building, just to kill Sasha? Yeah. It makes no sense. Natalie meets up with Paul at his room, 
and immediately suspects him to be the killer. I know it, it is a small thing, but when Paul tells her the phones are dead and she checks it anyway, just to confirm, man, that, that actually really worked for me. Okay. It, yeah, it's a, a really, it's a perfect way of conveying distrust between two friends. Well, um, actually, she's at the point where she can't trust anyone. Yeah. Uh, this, this is not a great movie, but some, it does have some things that are done really well. Uh, and in such, what do you think are the strong points of the movie so far, if any? Well, I think it has a great premise. It really does. Mm -hmm. I'm with you in that I think that might be it. Well, it also has, I mean, if you want to go into more detail, like uh, some fantastic actors doing great jobs. Like Robert England plays a fantastic like university professor. I would love to take that class. Michael yeah. Rosenbaum, as detestable as Parker is, does a great job playing a detestable Parker. We Joshua Jackson agree. was yes. great as this skeezy guy. Like there are good performances in the movie. And let's not forget Brad Dourif. Oh, absolutely. I can't believe. Yeah. Fantastic. What uh, we're we're wrapping up the the plot very soon, but I think we can agree that it kind of went off the rails at some point. When was it on the rail? The beginning, for sure. The opening scene, okay. And then then I feel like it got a little boring, and then it started to get crazy, and then I'm just watching it until it ends. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Um, Natalie and Paul leave, hoping to find a working phone in town and encounter Brenda in the rain outside. Sure. <laughs> Reese discovers Sasha's body and calls the Dean, but there's no answer. Now, <laughs> in Paul's car, speeding down the road, Natalie notices a weird odor. They stop at a nearest gas station because they're low on fuel. And Brenda apologizes for her reaction to Natalie and Paul making out. I like that here we hear Wexler's watch alarm go off and they discover his corpse in the back of Paul's car. When did she get it in there? I don't know. How? How did she get it in there? I would assume that the car would have been locked. And Paul doesn't notice the smell. No. Which, why wouldn't he? I, I have no answer for you. Unless he didn't because he's one of the killers and is like just pretending he didn't. I, I guess I, I have nothing for you, man. The movie yeah. is just ridiculous at this point. But the, the women run off into the woods and Paul chases after them. Natalie loses Brenda in the woods, uh, which after we learn that Brenda is the killer means that Brenda just kind of veered off <laughs> to separate her, to lose her. Why? Why no, not? I'm surprised, man. Just got to charge at her from another angle. You're in the fucking woods. Your whole point, like, your intention is to kill her. There is no one around. You could have killed her many times already. I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, Natalie makes it to the road where she's picked up by the creepy janitor in his pickup truck. And there, there's way too many things going on here. So, you, okay, you say we don't know that Brenda's the killer. Why would Natalie just leave her friend behind? Uh... <laughs> The janitor offers Natalie his coat, which is the parka. How many of your friends have the same fucking coat? How many people have this coat for this time of the year? Exactly. That was my next line. It just says, why do so many people have parkas present out of season? You've covered that. Thank you. Natalie tries to get out of the truck, but the door won't open from the inside. Convenient. The movie tries to make us think that the janitor is the killer, 
But at the same time, there's no reason for us to believe that to be true. No. <laughs> so I, I'm telling you, the worst red herring in one of these movies. Immediately, I'm like, it's not him. It's not him. And not only is it not him, he's the one that gives Paul the newspaper showing that Wexler was a sole survivor and that the massacre actually happened. He's like, here's all the info I have. Do with it what you will. Obviously not the killer. Then we get the gang headlight initiation scare again. Killer runs the truck off the road and Natalie escapes into the woods another time. So Reese gets a gun from her office here. Yeah. This, this becomes a major issue for me. Okay. Natalie makes it back to campus and uses an emergency pillar to call for help for security. It's the only time I've ever seen one used, ever. I have to say one extremely positive thing about this movie is that Natalie usually uses every opportunity she has to try and get help. Yeah, this is not common for one of these characters. Usually it's like, let's do the worst possible thing. Okay, exactly. And the worst possible thing is when she hears Brenda screaming from inside Stanley Hall and decides to run in to help. Way to negate every decision you've made up until this point. Well, she's got to save her friend that she left behind. Exactly! <laughs> like, it makes no sense! Inside Stanley Hall, Natalie discovers the bodies of Parker, the Dean, and Damon. Why are they there? I don't know. She enters a room filled with candles and an unconscious Brenda on a bed. But it's all a trick. Because Brenda sits up and knocks her out. <laughs> Brenda had so many opportunities to take her out. She didn't need to set this up. No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, honestly, I'm thinking too, like, what if one of the candles fell over and just caught the place on fire? <laughs> what then? Now revealed to be the killer, Brenda lays out her motive. Revenge. Not exactly original, but I kind of like the story. It turns out the guy who died as a result of Natalie and Michelle playing the headlight prank was actually Brenda's boyfriend or fiance. I school. think they suggest that they were engaged at one point. Yeah. What What did you think about that reveal? Weak. Really? I dug it. Did you like kill nine people? Like, well, the re the revenge against Natalie. I I like that being the reason. But yeah, killing everyone else it makes no sense. Can we agree that Rebecca Gayhart is having a fucking blast in this scene? I thought she was terrible in this scene. I know, I know you did. I didn't say was it good. I oh, said, okay. do you think it's... she's having a fucking blast? She's probably having fun, yeah. Why not? Yeah. I knew you would hate this. I really did. It's poorly acted. I'm, I'm sorry, this it. might be the poorest performance in the movie. I fucking loved every second of it. It's time to play out the uh, kidney heist legend. Uh, that That is an, another one that also terrified me as a child. But Reese arrives to save the day. Brenda stabs her, steals her gun, and shoots her. I don't understand, like, security or police officers in these movies that, like, close the distance just to avert their attention. Yeah. Like, you stay, you have a gun. Stay at a distance, unless you're gonna move forward to, like, handcuff, but then... Don't take your eyes off of them until they're in cups. I, I have nothing for you. It's, it's just, I don't, I don't get it. No, I don't either. It feels like such a tense situation that you wouldn't be slipping up. Yeah, it's, again, it has, it has to be poor writing, right? Because you and I both agree on what should happen here, and it's the exact opposite. Mm. 
Uh, we get more of Brenda's plan, which I think really tarnishes everything. Uh, to me, the revenge plot makes sense. But if her ultimate goal is to get Paul to fall in love with her and get him a Pulitzer after he covers the story, doesn't make sense if she's trying to avenge the death of her true love, but is already in love with someone else. Or well, unless he was one of the killers and he used her emotional state to, like, convince her, like, trick her into doing this. Yeah. Again, that would make sense. But no, he does show up, though, somehow. He knows exactly where to go. He's been on foot, I assume, this whole time, wandering through the woods. Now he got back into his car with the dead body in it that he didn't smell. Exactly. What's going on here? He's overheard everything, though, which means he's been hiding this entire time. So why show yourself now? It's because he's trying to convince her that he and Brenda will be a great team. Tries to get her to give him a gun, but she's already on to him. Okay, this, this, this is the problem that I had referenced earlier, Sandro. Okay. Reese regains consciousness and shoots Brenda. With what fucking gun? Um, the one that Brenda took from her that she's holding on to? The one that Reese went back to to unlock a specific case to get a gun that she doesn't carry on her? That's the second gun. Thank you. She was loading up. We see that the movie makes a great, a great deal to show us that Reese has to go get a lockbox to get a gun because she's campus police. Not well, she also showed it also showed us her playing with a gun when she was pretending to act out that scene. Yes. So either a second gun has magically appeared, or they spent way too much time showing us that she went to get another gun for no reason. Well, in case she needed more guns. You always need more guns. This is America. Yeah. You finally get it. <laughs> Natalie picks up the mystery gun and shoots Brenda as well, causing her to fall out of a window and to the ground below. Natalie and Paul drive off to get help for Reese and discuss how the story will become an urban legend itself, which is extremely heavy-handed. And Paul asks what the twist will be. This movie has lost me now, because Brenda just pops up from the backseat, wielding an axe. Paul hits the guardrail of the bridge that they're driving on, sending Brenda flying through the windshield and into the river below. And this ending, Sandra, this fucking ending. We cut to Ashton University, where a student is telling a group of friends about the killings. Apparently, the storm was so bad that Brenda's body was never recovered from the river, and one of the friends calls him out on not telling the story properly. The friend, revealed to be Brenda, tells the rest how the story really goes. Cut to black and roll credits. I think we all fell into the river at the end of this movie. Oh, I love this ending. How do you really feel? It's a great ending. You think so? If you go by a very specific mentality, <laughs> okay? Stick with me here, okay? All right. The events of this movie that you were just watching... Were that guy regaling this story to the group. And as urban legends do, details get askewed, altered, and changed. So a lot of the unbelievable things that we saw in the movie aren't exactly how it happened. Which is why Brenda said, that's not how it happened. 
because what we were watching was the inconsistent retelling, retelling. of this urban legend. I did think that for the longest time. Just I stay thinking that way. It works <laughs> so much better. It it really does. I don't know if that was the intent, though. If it was, well done, but it's dicey. I, I like that you, you came to that conclusion, or at least hoped that was what we were doing here. If you look at it from that standpoint, then it automatically alleviates all of the plot holes that were in the movie. Because much like, you know, the, the game telephone, as the stories bounce from one person to another, they kind of like small details get changed, plot holes appear. It's never a perfect recount. And now all of a sudden I can let it go because this is a facsimile of the events that took place. And I totally get where you're coming from and I love it. I Like I said, I, I was thinking the same thing until I really thought about the fact that if I watched a movie for over an hour and a half just to have that punchline be the closer, I, was, I would be fucking furious. Well, then you must hate movies and shows that have an episode that's an entirely a dream sequence. I don't mind that for TV shows. I don't need an hour and a half long dream sequence. All right. I love, I love that you picked that up as well, though. I think a lot of people didn't. And I think that's why we got such a, a shitty sequel. I've never seen the sequel. <laughs> All right. Well, let me tell you this. Brenda reappears. I, I saw that when I was researching uh, our game. I yeah. saw that she was listed as being in the second movie. So. Cameo. Oh, okay. Well, fine. Whatever. Still saw that she was in it. So, looking at this movie, looking at this fucking crazy cast, how much do you think the film cost? Uh, $25 million? 14. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I think everyone was just kind of taking off at this point, so you could get them for it cheaper. Uh, do you think the movie was a success? Okay, I don't know what order it came in, because I feel like the first couple after Scream probably did really well, just based yeah. on that. Mm -hmm. And then by the end of it, people were probably just getting tired of it, and due to attrition, were losing interest. Um, 47. 72.5. Hey, good for them. Yeah. Makes sense why they had sequels. Makes sense for the first sequel, not uh, not the second one. But uh, yeah, it made money, so it should have been reviewed well. Where do you think it's sitting at uh, on the IMDb? Oh, I don't think it's going to be very high. Um, 4.7. Close. 5.6. Okay. Uh, over at Rotten Tomatoes, percentage of positive reviews from uh, from the critics? 61. 27. Oof! Audience? 49. 37. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's not doing that well. No, 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 no. But, uh, may as well just jump into awards here. I'm very curious. Alright, who did you have for your least favorite, uh, character? Parker. Okay. I didn't like I liked Rosenbaum's performance. I just really hated the character. And you can argue that we're supposed to hate him, but I feel like they were really trying to to channel that Stu Mocker character and did it really poorly. So yeah, the actor was the actor's performance was great, but the character just sucked for me. What uh what about you? Well, I can't argue with you on that one because 
Michael Rosenbaum did a great job in this, but he did a great job being a detestable character. So if he's your least favorite character, that makes sense because he yeah. made him an unlikable character. And I was tempted to pick Rebecca Gray, uh, Gayhart just for that reveal scene. Yeah. But I went with Alicia Witt as Natalie. Really? Yeah. Okay. I found her performance very flat. And wow. for the regular stuff, no problem. But when it came to the emotional delivery, which I feel is a bit of a hanging point for me in general, I don't think she was able to deliver on the emotionally heavy scenes. And that really, really brought it down for me. Okay. Yeah, all right. I I can definitely go along with that. It, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised to have seen her cast in Disturbing Behavior. I think she would have fit in the poorly acted film. <laughs> uh, what about a favorite character? Yeah, I went with Robert England. I know he's mm. not in it that much, but like he's in it enough to not call it a cameo. And he just steals every scene he's in where even though I knew it wasn't the case I'm like I kind of hope he's the killer so we get a couple more scenes with him <laughs> yeah unfortunately we didn't but I, I will say like like completely cheaply honorable mentions to Jared Leto Michael Rosenbaum Joshua Jackson uh, they all did a good job of making their characters what they should be but it's gotta be Robert Englund. Okay. You? Uh, I want to go with Damon, played by Joshua Jackson. Oh, here we go again. Because he's self-bragging. But I felt we didn't have enough of him in the movie. No, not nearly enough. So I went with Brenda. I loved Rebecca Gayhart in this movie. Even the reveal... Yeah, I know it was bad, but I had so much fun watching her have fun. Uh, if you just want to stick to the narrative, yeah, maybe not the best, but I appreciated her acting in this movie. I loved it, and it really made Brenda my favorite character, because like I said, you get that bubbly kind of ditzy character, and you're supposed to assume that's all she's going to be, and that is not what we get. And I found that when she does her crazy reveal, that I, I actually really enjoyed it. And I did not expect it fully. Um, so it was kind of a nice payoff. And I thought she was great. I also just, I love Rebecca Gayhart and pretty much everything I've seen her in. So I knew you were going to hate on her. I just, I didn't expect it would be a least favorite almost. Uh, again, I was only tempted to do it for the final scene. If it was the rest of the performance, I was totally fine with her. Fair enough. And I didn't ultimately pick her. She just, she just she just gave herself an admirable push towards the finish line there. Oh, definitely. I totally thought she was going to be your choice. <laughs> uh, what did you have for your favorite or most memorable line? Uh, it's between uh, Damon and Natalie, um, where they're in uh, Natalie's dorm room, and Damon says, he shows up, and he's like, I want to see if you want to go over to the house. Parker says he's going to pierce Hootie's nose. And Natalie just says, Hootie's a dog. And he responds, yeah, that's no reason he can't be hip. Stupid fucking line, probably one of the worst in the movie, but it made me laugh out loud. Even I was like, man, you can't do that to a dog. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
what uh, what was yours? Uh, so after um, Tasha's death, there is a line uh, just from like some random extra in the crowd. I don't know who says it, but they go, uh, you should check her pulse. She's been like that for years. <laughs> I missed that altogether. <laughs> wow. Oh, can I change my answer? You sure can. <laughs> oh, it's that. It's fucking that. Oh, that's good. Uh, wow. Okay. I had to rewind it. I thought I heard it, and I'm like, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> so insensitive. I'm like, there's no way. And then, yeah, that's what they said. And I, I even, like, I looked up a transcript of the movie online to find the exact wording, because I'm still, like, in disbelief. <laughs> that's good. Fuck, that's real good. What, uh, what was your memorable scene? Uh, the Dawson's Creek song. Really? Yeah, it's just, it, it's, I know, I know it's low-hanging fruit, but you have to know about, like, I love that stuff by now. Yeah. And just, like, the look on his face when it happens, too, it's so good, because even, He's like, oh, God, I'm never going to escape this. Like, it's so good. It just, it is, it is pure disgust. But he's only been in, like, I think he was only on Dawson's Creek. Like, I think it started, what, 97? So it's been a year? And <laughs> he's already like, oh, fuck. That was good. Very good scene. Very short, though. I'm surprised you picked that as most memorable. Uh, I'm actually kind of disappointed we don't have the same choice here. Okay. Because for me, it's that fucking opening scene at the gas station. That is one of the strongest openings to a slasher film I have ever seen. Maybe only second to the original Halloween. Uh, it was just because it was... It felt like it would be too long for me to call it a scene. But mm -hmm. I get it. I totally get it. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Fucking urban legend. I, uh, I feel like I put you through some shit, man. Uh, well, that being said, let's get to our final thoughts then. I... As much as I want to hate on this movie, I really enjoy it. It is problematic for sure, but for a 1998 facsimile teen slasher film, it does a great job. It's all over the place. Absolutely all over the place. But it has a stacked cast filled with great performances. The soundtrack is so 1998. I love it. Um... It's just fun. I, I don't think anybody who didn't grow up in that time would appreciate it nearly as much as we do. Uh, it's a time capsule of uh, an era long gone. And I, I like being reminded of that every now and then. So is it a good movie? Not really. Um, but you can have fun with it. So yeah, I, I, would, I would recommend it. You? Uh... You managed to do the unthinkable and found an enjoyable 1998 horror movie. Holy shit, really? I thought this movie was great. I, wow. I did not expect that. I was totally, like, looking forward to my second viewing of it. I thought this movie was, like, way too much fun for what it was. It, it almost feels like some of the characters were even characters. Like, the movie was, like, we know what we're doing, but we're also going to take some shots at it. Yeah. Because, like, Parker, for example. I loved Parker in that I'm like, they're just taking this character trope 
and just dialing it up to 11. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, doing a good job, I think the only part that I found kind of disappointing was the reveal at the end. And, yeah, that could have been done better, but whatever. It was still a fun movie. Don't watch it with a critical eye and have a good time. Yeah, that, that is a wonderful review. Um, I can easily back that up. It's, it's just fun, man. All right. So that was our thoughts on Urban Legends. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, you can hit us up on social media. We are on Twitter at BSBargainMint, Facebook.com slash BSBargainMint, BSBargainMint.com, and YouTube.com slash at BSBargainMint. Ben. Yes. For the love of everything that is holy, please tell me that we're not doing a 1998 horror movie. We are not doing a 1998 horror movie next week. Okay. You had mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Upgrade. It is a movie I've been trying to push on everyone because it has gone completely unnoticed. Logan Marshall Green is amazing in that movie. And I showed it to you and you loved it. It's, I think, one of the best episodes we've done too on this show. But there are other movies that have gone unnoticed that I've told you about that you've watched and you've agreed. How, how is this not more popular? How do people not know about this? We fucking watched this movie a few weeks ago together because next week we're talking 2018's accident, man. So you're watching a trailer, right? You want to know what the movie's about? Well, allow me to explain. The name's Fallon. And I'm an assassin. Yeah, yeah, I know. You've already seen all the assassin movies and all their sequels, right? You seem pretty unscathed. Well, I don't bruise easy. See, everyone's got a gimmick. Carnage Cliff. He's a butcher. Specializes in severed heads and chopped off limbs. Mick and Mac. Ex-Special Forces. Turbocharged Soldiers of Fortune. Jane the Ripper. She's the honey trap killer machine. And Poison Pete. Well, you can work that one out for yourself, can't you? And as for me, well, I make them look like accidents. Everyday, ordinary accidents. But now I've got a problem. You see, the love of my life just turned up in a box six feet under, and I'm certain that it was one of my crew that put her there. She was pregnant. But which one of these wankers did it? I'm gonna find out. And when I do... There'll be a few more fatal accidents around the corner. You gotta set balls on you, don't you? What is going on? Who ordered that hit, Lenny? I can't tell you that. It's payback time, fellas! Well, the bloody hell do I make this look like an accident? Until next time, have a good one. All the best.